Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On January 30, 1921, a storm raged off the North Carolina coast. Waves as tall as houses crashed and roared. In the middle of it all, a lonely wooden ship was tossed about at sea. On deck, a man desperately tried to steer the boat. He had no idea what he was doing. He gripped the wheel, uncertain of how to handle this weather. He squinted, blinded by the rain, as he tried to make out the coastline. In the distance, a yellow beam of light flashed. The deckhand knew that familiar signal. It was a lighthouse shining a beacon of warning. But he wasn't sure what it was warning him against. Just then, the ship jerked to a halt. The man's feet slipped out from under him, and he fell onto the planks. The wooden vessel creaked and groaned around him. The ship had run aground. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on ghost ships, vessels that roam the seven seas without any crew. Last time, we discussed the ghost ships of the Arctic, Trapped in the winter ice, they were condemned to drift wherever the ice pack carried them. Today, we'll explore legends of ghost ships and the real-life fears they point to. We'll also investigate the boats whose crews mysteriously vanished and the explanations people have offered based on the few clues left behind. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. 
Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In 1641, the Dutch East India Company had one of the largest cargo ship fleets in the world. Their vessels traveled between the Netherlands and Southeast Asia, ferrying spices, coffee, and sugarcane. The ships had to voyage past the Cape of Good Hope on the southern tip of Africa, an area known for severe storms. Many vessels sank in these waters, and the crews knew how dangerous the crossing was. On one journey in the mid-1600s, Captain Hendrik Vanderdecken commanded a large cargo vessel. After a long journey, the boat approached the Cape, and a storm was brewing. The crew begged their captain to turn back. They knew they didn't stand a chance in the tempest. But Captain Vanderdecken was a proud man. He ignored their pleas. The sailors couldn't endure their captain's stubbornness any longer. They mutinied, attempting to disarm him and take control of the ship. But Vanderdecken fought them off. One crew member approached Vanderdecken, determined to seize the vessel once and for all. But the captain stabbed him through the heart with his cutlass. Then he picked up the body and tossed the dead man overboard. He vowed to keep sailing through the storm even if it took until doomsday. But before he had his chance, an angel appeared. They told Vanderdecken that heaven would hold him and his crew to that boastful promise. In other words, they were doomed. The boat, named the Flying Dutchman, never returned to Holland. It was cursed to wander the seas for the rest of time. Since then, there have been countless reported sightings of the Flying Dutchman all over the world. It appears as a spectral glowing ship that vanishes before anyone can get a closer look. Its sails are harbingers of impending doom. Sailors have spotted it during violent storms, and many witnesses later contracted a deadly disease. Some say that the story of the Flying Dutchman represents people's anxieties about losing valuable vessels and goods during the 17th century. The ships that traveled from Asia were instrumental to the European economy. After all, Captain Vanderdecken's eagerness to get his cargo to its trading port caused the wreck. It's possible that the legend also took older stories from European culture and combined them with people's new concerns about the world around them. The Flying Dutchman echoes the many tales of characters who upset the gods and, as a result, were doomed to wander. In the ancient Greek epic poem The Odyssey, the hero offends Poseidon and then spends ten years trying to sail home amidst endless hardships. And during the Middle Ages, a popular story depicted a mythical character who insulted Jesus Christ, then was condemned to roam the earth until Judgment Day. In other words, the legend of the Flying Dutchman didn't come out of nowhere. The narrative built upon popular mythology, as did other ghost ship stories. But the Chilean legend of El Caliuche had roots in documented history. The story begins on an archipelago off Chile's western shore. 
It's covered in lush greenery, rocky beaches, and picturesque cliffs. Humboldt penguins migrate to the island every winter. But the coastline is dangerous for travelers. When a fog rolls in, the clouds enshroud everything in an otherworldly mist. Out on the docks, sailors can hear music and peals of seductive laughter coming from the sea. Then, white sails emerge out of the gloom. Strings of glinting lights reveal the deck of a wooden ship. A massive sea vessel shows itself in its full splendor. The deck is full of life. Elegant guests party together. There are two beautiful women and a handsome young man, all with long blonde hair. Sailors entranced by the scene have rowed out to the ship, eager to join the revelry. But once they climb aboard, they realize that something is very wrong. The once elegant guests aren't dancing at all. Instead, they drag their feet like zombies. And the three beautiful people who summon them only look like humans. From the waist down, they have the tails of mermaids. In horror, the sailors realize the truth. They've just been lured in by the infamous ghost ship El Caleuche. According to legend, its crew is made up of the souls of drowned sailors. They're doomed to toil on board for all eternity. With its new captives, El Caleuche dives underwater, vanishing without a trace. This story may date to the 16th century during the Age of Exploration. At that time, the island was inhabited by the Mapuche people. Their first sightings of Spanish cargo ships off the coast could have served as inspiration for the story, and it's possible they combined it with elements from their local mythology. However, some ghost ship tales are based on a theme as old as time, love. In 1748, off the coast of Kent, England, a schooner called the Lady Lovabond was ready to sail. The first mate, John Rivers, pined for a woman named Annetta. But there was a problem. She was already married to the ship's captain, Simon Reed. And this voyage was supposed to be Simon and Annetta's honeymoon celebration. Rivers was extremely jealous. The sight of the happy newlyweds made his blood boil. As the coastline disappeared in the distance, Rivers grew more and more agitated, until finally he couldn't take it any longer. He grabbed a wooden club and in his rage beat a fellow crew member to death. At that moment, the ship was passing through a treacherous area called the Goodwin Sands. It was a stretch of sea known for its dramatic tides. The waves in this area could stir up enough sediment to create a suctioning effect. Horrified by the murder he'd just committed, Rivers grabbed the ship's wheel and steered straight into the Goodwin Sands. He hoped to destroy the evidence of the homicide, including himself and everyone who'd witnessed his evil deed. Almost immediately, the waves sucked the ship down into the murky deep. Rivers' crime was erased, or so he thought. But every 50 years, the Lady Lovabond reappears, surrounded by an eerie green glow. 100 years after its fatal journey, a group of fishermen spotted the Lady Lovabond. 
They watched in awe as the large vessel steered toward the Goodwin Sands. The ship was empty. But there are some doubts about the Lady Lovabond's origin story. Researchers found no mentions of the boat in any newspapers before the 1920s, which was almost 200 years after the events purportedly took place. They suspected the journalists fabricated the tale as a Valentine's Day story. Nonetheless, like the other ghost ships, the Lady Lovabond was based on cultural ideals and stories. According to nautical folklore, it was bad luck to bring a woman on board a ship. Supposedly, it angered the sea gods, but the real reason was that it distracted the crew. The Lady Lovabond myth reinforces this sexist belief. Furthermore, the story reflected the well-known dangers of the Goodwin Sands. Over 2,000 ships met their end on its shoals. The Lady Lovabond wasn't even the only ghost ship that reportedly appeared there. Perhaps the mythological ghost ship stories just reflect the cultural concerns of their times. But there are also real ghost ships. They aren't captained by accursed spirits. Instead, their crews vanished into thin air. Coming up, a ghost ship that captivated the country. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Parcast, answers. The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories. At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands. They saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie and Mary Reed. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In August 1920, a vessel called the Carol A. Deering left Virginia. It was the crown jewel of the G.G. Deering Company, the largest and grandest schooner the shipyard had ever built. The boat was about 250 feet long with five masts. The Deering was bound for Rio de Janeiro, Brazil with a cargo of coal. Captain Willis Warmel was at the helm. He was reliable, with a stellar reputation for navigating vessels out of tight spots. But he was 66 years old and already retired, so some were nervous about his ability to make the voyage. Warmel hired Charles McClellan as first mate. He'd never met McClellan before the voyage, and from the beginning, 
There was tension. But the journey went off without a hitch. In November 1920, the Deering arrived in Brazil, dropped off its cargo, and headed back north. The ship arrived in Barbados for a stopover in January 1921. And that's where the trouble began. Captain Warmel and McClellan got into a heated argument over how to run the ship. McClellan became so enraged that he vowed to kill the captain before they reached the United States. Warmel was shocked at McClellan's threat. He knew he had to do something, so he kicked McClellan off the boat. This apparently didn't faze the first mate very much. He took the opportunity to go on a five-day drinking bender that ended with him getting thrown into the local jail. Some crew members pressured Captain Warmel to bring McClellan back on board. After all, he needed a first mate, and McClellan had the experience. But Warmel worried that McClellan could instigate a mutiny. Despite his misgivings, Warmel bailed McClellan out of jail and gave him his position back. On January 9, 1921, the Deering left Barbados for Virginia. A few days later, the crew of a different ship witnessed something strange at sea. They weren't far from the Deering's route through the Bahamas when they spotted a five-masted schooner zigzagging out of control. It looked like whoever was steering it had no idea what they were doing. But they couldn't get close enough to see the name of the ship before it disappeared over the horizon. Later that month, the Deering may have been spotted again. This time, it was off the coast of North Carolina when a terrible storm hit. It raged for a week, causing pandemonium at sea. There were heavy gales, fog, and even snow. Any vessel caught in the fray was in great danger. Days later, another boat captain saw the Deering. A man stood on deck. He didn't look like Captain Warmel. He had red hair and a foreign accent. He was trying to get the attention of nearby ships. The red-haired man said that his vessel had lost both its anchors in the storm. He asked the master to relay the news to the Deering's owners. As the master took down this message, he noticed that the Deering's crew was milling about the quarterdeck. This area was typically off-limits for crew members. It was very out of the ordinary for seamen to break these rules. But before he could ask any questions, the Deering disappeared out of sight. A few days later, two Coast Guardsmen kept watch about 70 miles northeast of where the Deering had hailed the lightship. As the twilight turned to sunrise, they spotted something out on the shoals. The men rushed to the station's telescope to get a better look. A ship was wedged against the treacherous sandbar that hid just under the water's surface. They could see it was a schooner with five masts. All of its sails were unfurled and fluttering in the breeze. This was odd because an experienced captain would never let the sails down during a storm like they'd just been through. Even stranger, no one was on board. The lookout crew donned their waterproof slickers, hitched up a horse to their lifeboat, and dragged it across the beach. But the sea was too rough for them to get to the vessel. They'd have to wait for reinforcements. It took another five days before a rescue ship could reach the abandoned boat. Finally, they saw its name, the Carol A. Deering. <laughs> 
The rescuers climbed aboard. The deck had already sunk close to the waterline, and with each wave, seawater gushed into the cabins through open portholes. The sails were in tatters after being left unfurled in the heavy winds. Additionally, the Deering's two lifeboats were gone. In the galley, the rescuers found a bowl of pea stew and a pot of coffee on the table. It looked like the crew was about to sit down for a nice dinner. But the captain's quarters were in disarray. The bed was unmade, and several pairs of boots were strewn about carelessly. They also noticed that the captain's trunk was missing, as were the ship's log and papers. They couldn't find the chronometer, a vital instrument that captains used to sail. With nothing to save, the rescuers left the Deering to the elements. At first, authorities assumed that a passing ship must have picked up the Deering's crew, but they never turned up. The mystery of the Deering's missing sailors made headlines all over the country. Speculation ran wild. Some said that rum smugglers from the Bahamas had taken over the ship. Others suggested that a rogue German submarine was destroying Allied vessels in revenge for World War I. But one of the most popular explanations featured pirates. Fleets of lawless buccaneers were roaming the high seas, hijacking American ships. The same month the Deering was found, a steamship vanished off the coast of Florida, possibly a victim of piracy. And one clue hinted that marauders had seized the Deering, its ocean chart. Each day of the Deering's voyage, Captain Warmel had marked down their location. But the record stopped on January 23rd, a full week before the ship turned up empty and abandoned. One of Captain Warmel's good friends examined the chart. He noted that the last few days of recorded locations didn't match Captain Warmel's handwriting. Someone else must have recorded this information. Perhaps something had happened to Captain Warmel during the journey. If buccaneers had seized the ship, they could have taken him hostage or killed him. But some people rejected the pirate explanation. The U.S. Navy thought it was ridiculous. This was the 1920s, not the 18th century. In their mind, there was no way pirates had taken the boat without them knowing about it. Even marauders had to occasionally go into port for supplies and repairs. They had nowhere to hide without being discovered. It seemed like the newspapers were just sensationalizing the story. But then, new evidence surfaced that seemingly corroborated the pirate explanation. On April 10, 1921, about three months after the empty ship was discovered, a fisherman named Christopher Columbus Gray announced that he'd found a bottle along the beach. It had a message inside. The message was written by one of the Deering's crew members. It said the boat was captured, its crew handcuffed, and those who'd escaped capture were hiding around the vessel. The letter writer begged the finder to notify the ship's headquarters. Gray immediately contacted the customs house, who forwarded the information to the Coast Guard. Perhaps the piracy explanation was correct after all. Some suspected that the pirates could have been Russian sailors looking to overtake an American ship. If that was the case, the Deering was now a threat to U.S. democracy. 
But Captain Warmel's daughter Lula saw the note as a beacon of hope. She'd hounded politicians and newspapers to keep the case alive. Now she had even more reason to persist. She was sure that her father was still out there somewhere, alive, but held hostage. And she was about to go straight to the top with her appeals. She found that one Washington bigwig was very interested in the Deering. His name was Herbert Hoover, a future president of the United States. Coming up, the federal government gets involved in the Deering case. Now, back to the story. In January 1921, a schooner called the Carol A. Deering was found abandoned off of Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. Its crew was nowhere to be found. People speculated that Russian pirates had taken over the Deering in a plot to send supplies to communist Russia. This became an issue of national concern, especially after a message in a bottle washed ashore. It described the Deering's crew being taken hostage. As the fear of Bolshevism reached a fever pitch, the public outcry grew. One young politician took the threat of communist pirates very seriously, Herbert Hoover. In 1921, Hoover was planning to run for president, and he didn't want to look like he was soft on the Soviets. In May, he met with Captain Warmel's daughter, Lula. She wasn't sure if her father was still alive. Hoover promised to find out what had happened to him. He pulled some strings to get the FBI involved and put Agent Lawrence Ritchie on the case. He was known as the future president's right-hand man. Ritchie was a meticulous researcher, and he was committed to getting to the bottom of the mystery. He sent the note to the FBI for analysis. Then he had the bottle examined for signs of wear. The forensics team looked for sand pitting or sunburning on the bottle. If it had been floating at sea for several months, it would have visible damage. But the team found no indications that the bottle had been at sea. In August 1921, Agent Ritchie arranged to meet Christopher Gray, the man who'd found the bottle. Gray was a local fisherman who lived in a ramshackle cabin near the ocean. He was barely eking out a living at the time, and he hoped to get a job at a local lighthouse. For whatever reason, he thought Ritchie could offer him that position. Gray showed up to the meeting in a grimy shirt and overalls. Ritchie was waiting for him in his slick dark suit and fedora. The two men sized each other up. Gray was surprised when Ritchie began to question him about the message in the bottle. The agent presented him with photocopies of the note. He asked Gray where and when exactly he'd found the letter and when he'd actually presented it at the customs house. Gray was evasive. He claimed that he simply found the bottle and gave it to the authorities immediately. But Ritchie knew that wasn't true. After Gray had notified officials about the message in the bottle, they'd come to his home to collect the evidence. Gray had nothing to show. He told the officials he'd left the bottle on the beach. The day after they questioned him, he brought it to the authorities. It didn't make any sense that Gray would find the bottle, read the message, and then put it back where he'd found it. 
Richie figured that Gray had lied about the bottle without realizing they'd want to see it. The fisherman must have forged the note and delivered it the next day. In his youth, Gray had been known for writing anonymous letters and leaving them for girls he liked. He'd become something of a handwriting expert, mimicking other people's styles. When Richie confronted Gray with this information, Gray was furious. He was offended by the implication that he may have fabricated the whole story. But when Richie showed him the results of the FBI's handwriting analysis, he broke down and confessed. Gray explained that he was desperate for work. He thought that if he helped solve the Deering case, he'd get a job at the lighthouse. Lula Warmel was devastated. She'd staked her hopes on that message. Now she had to face the truth. Her father was probably dead. But if it wasn't pirates, what actually happened to the Deering? Agent Ritchie had a theory, and he set his sights on a new suspect, first mate Charles McClellan. Ritchie knew that McClellan had threatened Captain Warmel's life in Barbados right before the Deering made its last leg of its voyage. And when Ritchie looked into McClellan's background, he found that no one could say where he was from or who he was. It was like the first mate had appeared out of thin air. Perhaps McClellan had been a Bolshevik spy after all. Or he could have been in cahoots with bootleggers smuggling alcohol to the U.S. Or maybe he was just a rogue who didn't like his captain and wanted to take over the ship. Ritchie figured that McClellan must have instigated the crew to rise up against Captain Mormel. They may have incapacitated him, maybe even murdered him. Multiple crews aboard different ships saw a five-masted schooner, just like the Deering, sailing haphazardly right after the ship's disappearance. To bystanders, it seemed like whoever was steering didn't know how to control it. The crew may have seized control of the ship, only to realize they weren't prepared to pilot it. Then there was the ocean chart that Warmel's fellow captain swore wasn't in his handwriting. Someone else must have filled it out during the Deering's final days at sea. Additionally, people looked to the mysterious red-haired man with a foreign accent. He'd hailed a ship to report he was missing two anchors. The man definitely wasn't Captain Warmel. Finally, the crew had roamed freely in the captain's area, as if no one was in charge. If Captain Warmel had fallen ill or died of natural causes, surely the red-haired man would have passed that information along in his message. But he didn't say anything about the missing captain. It's possible that the red-haired man had hailed another ship as part of a ruse. Maybe the plan all along had been to crash the vessel and make it look like an accident. The story about the missing anchors may have been part of the ploy. This would make it seem like the Deering was already in bad shape before it turned up empty. But that wouldn't explain why there was food in the galley, as if someone was about to sit down for a meal. Some speculated that the inexperienced crew was caught in a storm and unaware of the dangerous shoals. When the ship hit the bottom, they had to abandon it quickly before the sea broke it to pieces. That would explain why the two lifeboats were missing, along with some of the ship's charts and instruments. 
Perhaps some sailors perished in the wreck, but their bodies never washed up on shore because of the area's currents. Drowning victims were usually swept out to sea. If that happened to the crew, no one would ever know. The real story of the Deering remains unknown, but the rumors that swirled say a lot about the anxieties of the time. What began as a feud between a captain and his first mate spun into unfounded conspiracy theories about communism. The specter of the Deering doesn't haunt the seas like the ghost ships of old, but it's not the only boat that turned up without a crew. Another part of the world, the South Pacific, is home to a similar mystery. In 1955, a boat called the Joyita was discovered north of Samoa with all 25 of its passengers missing. The boat was on a routine voyage delivering supplies and passengers to the Tokelau Islands, but it never arrived at its destination. Five weeks after its disappearance, another boat found it, drifting 600 miles off course. The Joyita was in rough condition. Its engine room was filled with water, and the boat was tilted 55 degrees on its side. The ship's radio was broken, and it looked like it had been for a long time. That meant that before they disappeared, the crew couldn't signal for help, and the three lifeboats were missing. Some people thought that the Joyita had fallen victim to a rogue wave or an underwater volcano. But once again, pirates provided the most compelling explanation. This time, however, they weren't Russian. They were Japanese. In the 1950s, bitterness from World War II was still fresh in many people's minds. When investigators reported that a fleet of Japanese fishing boats had sailed near the same vicinity that the Joita crew went missing, accusations ran wild. Newspapers printed headlines crying murder. But there was never any evidence that the Japanese fishing boats were ever near the Joita, let alone that the crew was killed. The real explanation was far different. Unlike the Deering case, the Joita didn't have a mutinous crew. This time, the culprit was a reckless captain. Captain Dusty Miller had a reputation as a bullheaded man with little regard for his crew's well-being. An investigation revealed that he'd known about the Joita's broken radio, as well as more severe problems with its engine, and all before leaving on the disastrous voyage. Miller was desperate for the trip to be a success. If he could establish a route between Samoa and Tokelau, the government would pay for it, and he needed the money, so he kept the Joita's technical issues secret. It's unclear what exactly transpired on the journey, but it seems that at some point, a corroded pipe burst in the engine room. As it flooded, the crew struggled to plug the leak. They tried to send a distress signal on the radio, but couldn't. The ship took on thousands of gallons of water per hour. The crew had to make a split-second decision. They could risk staying on board and hope the boat was buoyant enough to stay afloat, or they could try to escape on the life rafts. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough room for all 25 passengers. The rest would have to float alongside the rafts, clinging to the rope around the rim. But none of the life rafts, or the people on board, were ever found. 
The fates of ghost ships like the Joyita and the Deering might forever remain a mystery. The crews can't tell their story. Only the sea knows the truth. Even today, new ghost ships still appear on the open waters. In 2007, a yacht was found drifting off the coast of Australia with its three-man crew gone. It could have been a boating accident, or maybe the men were taken aboard the El Caliuche to sail for all eternity. Perhaps it was a global piracy ring. Years from now, legends may sprout up about this yacht, which will reflect the cultural anxieties of today. We may never know the truth about why the boat was abandoned, but the stories of the ghost ship will certainly reflect deeper realities about ourselves. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on ghost ships, amongst the many sources we used, we found Ghost Ship of Diamond Shoals, The Mystery of the Carol A. Deering by Bland Simpson, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Kirsten Liu, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parcast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.